of it that I hadn't really noticed before. Uh, Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30 says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't let anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That, uh, that, that phrase uh, about the unforced rhythms of grace um, is, is one of Leslie's favourites. Her, um, her, her kind of like weekly blog that she did to all the staff was, was just titled Rhythms of Grace for a while, um, rooted in that verse. Um, but the more we, we, we realised, uh, the, the more John and I talked, we, we realised that uh, what we thought Jesus was starting to whisper us about um, in the pub was that middle section about walking with him, working with him, and watching him. Um, uh, I've mentioned in the booklet, uh, uh, but we've, we've all probably, uh, those of us that have been in Christian circles for a little while, uh, heard lots of talks on discipleship. It's kind of core to the stuff after you, you, you become a believer. Um, although I have to say, the one from ND last week uh, about, the, uh, about Jungle Book and um, becoming like the people that you're with uh, was just a stroke of genius. I love that. Never did I think that George of the Jungle was going to make it into a sermon, but it happened. Uh, most of the, the sermons that we've, we've heard on discipleship focus on one of the passages in the New Testament letters, um, and that makes a whole lot of sense because those letters were written for those first century believers and the generations of believers after um, uh, th- that time um, in how to live as a follower of Jesus. And we're certainly not disparaging uh, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for rebuking, uh, correcting, and training in righteousness. Rebuking, teaching, correcting, and there's another one in there. Um, uh, but what we want to do with this series is just focus in on um, how the disciples first experienced this. Discipleship through the eyes of the disciples. What did they understand Jesus to mean when he called them to follow him? What did, Jesus, what did they see Jesus do? What did they hear him focus on when he talked? How did he urge them to live their lives? Come to me. Get away with me. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the rhythms of grace from me. Keep company with me. Learn to live freely and lightly. That's kind of our aim and our hope and our prayer for us as a congregation as we walk through these these next 12 weeks. So, um, yes, looking at discipleship, but only looking at it through the lens of the things that Jesus actually said, the things that the disciples would have experienced and understood about following Jesus, uh, being a disciple of Jesus from Jesus himself walking in their sandals, so to speak. One of the other things that we, uh, we found ourselves drawn to again and again as we were, we were looking at it was the idea of uh, transformation. Um, there's, a, there's a famous verse at the beginning of Romans 12 that talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Uh, and the context of that passage is um, so much more than just, just a mind shift that's going on. Um, it's transformed mind and heart and actions and habits. It's this total, all-encompassing life transformation. Again, here, here's how it's put in the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So when it came to thinking about kind of like the structure of how we were going to um, uh, do these, these weeks together, uh, one of the books was the <laughs> possibly over-promising titled book um, called The Complete Book of Discipleship. It's a brave man that names his book that, I can tell you. Um, uh, but one of the things that it did was, it, it, uh, one of the chapters in there is, is what it calls the sixfold definition of being conformed to Christ's image. Um, and that's the, the structure that we're going to take um, over the next 12 weeks. So, with a booklet in hand, uh, let me just walk you through it briefly. We're going to start next week uh, on the topic of transformed mind and belief. And there are, there are two topics in there. Um, the first one's going to be taken by a good friend of mine, Daryl. Um, uh, Daryl first trained me when I joined Agape, so he's to blame. Um, and he also probably has the best stories, so try not to grill him with too many of them after the service. Um, uh, but yeah, D Daryl's talking on, on curiosity and the part that that plays for us as disciples. Um, also, a quick plug, he's, he, he leads our um, East Asian network uh, in, in the UK, and he's bringing with him a couple of um, uh, 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 Chinese folk who have recently come to faith uh, to talk about their experience of uh, discipleship in the very early days and what it means to them. Quick plug for next week. Um, the, the following week is, is going to be an all-age service, and we're going to be looking at worship. Um, the second section is transformed habits. Um, uh, and the transformed habit actually bookends our our commitment week, our, our, our week of, of uh, thinking about giving and supporting the church. Um, so we're, we're starting off with a VLT-led uh, service on prayer um, and finishing up um, with Claire Ord talking about generosity and investment. Um, but that end, uh, bookends our, uh, our, our week of commitment that we're having here. So, so third section's on transformed character. We're going to be looking at um, submission and what that really looks like from our perspective. Um, and then ND is making a return on the 4th of, 4th of June, and he's going to be speaking on humility, grace, and forgiveness uh, and what that means as a, as a disciple. Next session is looking at transformed relationships and what it means to have a new family, not to put our old one aside, but to be part of this bigger, wider family and what do family relationships actually look like in that context. And also just, just looking at, at hospitality 
Um, it's, it's a thing that we're called to, but what does, it, what does it look like? Does it involve fancy catering or are there other ways around? Transformed service um, is, is our next uh, section. Steve Aylin's going to be coming and talking about uh, community in the context of discipleship and what that looks like. Um, and Dave Ellis is going to be speaking to us uh, about um, evangelism. Um, and we'll see whether he takes up the, the mark, but the verse that we've given him is about being as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. I think it could be fun. The last two we're finishing up on is uh, two that I don't think ever made an appearance in my uh, relatively conservative evangelical upbringing um, in discipleship. The, the, the topics of justice while we're here on earth rather than just justice in eternity um, and the issue of uh, creation and our stewardship um, are ones that I don't remember a whole lot of preaching on when I was growing up. Um, but I think definitely forms part of the things that Jesus calls us to as disciples to follow him. Brief, rapid overview of where we're going over the next 12 weeks. You're not going to want to miss any one of them. Um, uh, and obviously, no discussion with, with John Fortnum would, would be complete if uh, Rob Bell didn't make an appearance. Um, uh, so the, the other piece that, that factored in when we were talking about was um, one of his, his really old uh, videos, um, uh, a series that he did back uh, early 2000s. Um, uh, but there was, there was one in there called Dust, um, which is about the, the radical and outrageous calling of Jesus' first disciples. Um, and it gives some context to the, the thing that we've, we, we started with. What the, did the disciples really think Jesus was calling them to? What did they understand Jesus meant when he said, follow me? So that's what we're going to watch now. Uh, this is Dust by Rob Bell. The big things where right and wrong are obvious and easy, but I mean the small things. of person who does the right thing and I don't just mean the big things where right and wrong are obvious and easy but I mean the small things the subtle unnoticed things like helping my neighbor when she's shoveling a driveway you know what I do when no one's watching because it's so easy to let those small things slip away and it's it's those endless choices that we make every day that shape us and the kinds of people that we are. But this has started to change for me recently because I've started to believe different things about myself. A friend of mine gave me insight into the story about Jesus and his disciples that I'd heard before, but it's just taken on whole new meaning. Jesus' disciples are in a boat 
and it's the middle of the night and they're trying to get across the lake and the wind is blowing and it's getting choppy and Jesus comes walking out to them on the water. Now, now they think he's a ghost. So they're like, Jesus, is it you? And he says, yes. And one of them, Peter, gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water towards Jesus. What is Peter thinking? And why does, does he believe that he can walk on water? Now, what I've come to realize is the story makes way more sense if you understand the background. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi with Jewish disciples living in a first century Jewish world. Now, Jesus grew up in a region called the Galilee, and the Jewish people in the Galilee believed that God had spoken to Moses, one of their great historical leaders, and had given him the first five books of the Bible. They called these first five books the Torah. Torah means like teaching or instructions or simply the way. And so Torah was, was the center, the foundation of their lives, and it was the focus of their educational system. So most Jewish boys or girls around the age of six would go to school for the first time to learn the Torah. It'd probably be held in the local synagogue and be taught by a local Torah teacher who was a rabbi. This first level of education was called Beit Sefer and lasted until the kid was around 10 years old. In Beit Sefer, most kids would memorize the Torah and by the age of 10 have the Torah by heart, every word, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. Now, by the end of Beit Sefer, which would, which would be around 10 years of age, most kids were no longer going to school. They were uh, learning, they were apprenticing, learning the family trade, learning the family business, learning how to manage a household. But the best of the best would keep going. They would continue their education into the next level, which was called Beit Talmud. In Beit Talmud, the best of the best who are still going on, the ones with the most natural ability, would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Genesis through Malachi, memorize. Now, by the end of Beit Talmud, 14, 15, most kids obviously, most kids are learning the family business, learning the family trade, apprenticing with their parents. But the best of the best of the best would continue on to the next level of education, which was called Beit Midrash. And they'd go to a rabbi and they'd apply to that rabbi to become one of that rabbi's disciples. Now, when we use the word disciple, we often mean student, but we generally mean somebody who knows what the teacher knows. But a disciple is something far deeper. A disciple just doesn't want to know what the rabbi knows. A disciple wants to be like the rabbi and wants to learn to do what the rabbi does. Now, rabbis differed in how they interpreted the Torah. They would take like a verse or a command and one rabbi might say, well, this is what it means to follow this verse or to do this command of God. But another rabbi might say, no, I think it means something slightly different. And so different rabbis had different sets of interpretations about how they lived out and understood and interpreted the scriptures. Now, a rabbi's set of interpretations was called that rabbi's yoke. So when you went and applied to a rabbi to become one of that rabbi's disciples, what you wanted to do is you wanted to take that rabbi's yoke upon you so that you could learn 
to know what the rabbi knows, in order to do what the rabbi does, in order to be like the rabbi. So you'd go to a rabbi and you'd say, Rabbi, I want to become one of your disciples. The rabbi would then grill you. The rabbi would ask you questions about Torah, questions about the prophets, questions about the oral tradition. Because the rabbi wants to know, can this kid sit in front of me? Can this kid do what I do? Can this kid spread my yoke? Does this kid have what it takes? So the rabbi would fire off all these questions and grill the kid. And, and if the rabbi thought the kid, this kid's good, this kid loves God, loves Torah, but this kid isn't the best of the best of the best. The rabbi might say to the kid, you know, you, you obviously love God and you obviously know the Torah, but you, you don't have what it takes to become one of my disciples. And so the rabbi might say something like, go and continue learning your family, family trade, continue plying your family trade. But if the rabbi thinks this kid has got it, this kid, I think this kid could do what I do. The rabbi would say to the kid, come, follow me. And so you would leave as this, what, 14, 15 year old kid, you would leave your family, your friends, your synagogue, your village, and you would devote your entire life to being like your rabbi, learning to do what your rabbi does. This is what it means to be a disciple. So, a rabbi comes to town, a powerful rabbi. He's got like his little pack of disciples with him and they're doing everything they can to keep up with him because they've devoted their lives to doing what their rabbi does. So if you're a disciple, by the end of the day with your rabbi traveling on these hot, dusty, dirty roads, you've got whatever your rabbi stepped in just caked all over the front of you. And so this saying developed among the wise men and the sages that you would say to a disciple, you'd say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. This is a scene that, that everybody, everybody had seen this. They knew exactly what it meant to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, all of this to me has huge implications for, for Jesus and how we understand Jesus because most rabbis would begin their teaching around the age of 30. And in the Bible around the age of 30, we have Jesus walking down the shore along the Sea of Galilee and he comes across Peter and Andrew and they're fishermen and Jesus says to them, come, follow me. Well, if they're fishermen and Jesus calls them to be his disciples, then uh, they're not following another rabbi. And if they're not following another rabbi, they're not the best of the best. They, they, they didn't make the cut. And the text continues. It says that at once they dropped their nets and followed him, which I've always thought is a bit strange. I mean, it's odd, isn't it? That they just, they just drop them and go. And I don't, some of those Christian movies don't help, do they? I mean, it's like Jesus comes down the beach and he's in this white bathrobe and he has this light blue beauty pageant sash on, you know, and his hair is blow dried and he's, and he's Swedish and he calls the disciples and they're kind of these robots. They kind of come around and go after him. If you understand it, like in its original context, it starts to make perfect sense. I mean, rabbis were the most honored, respected, revered people anywhere. 
I mean, the best of the best of the best are the only ones who got to be rabbis. And this rabbi comes down the beach and says to you, come follow me. Well, what's he really saying? What he's really saying is, I think you could do what I do. I mean, he, he's, he's saying you can be like me. Of course you drop your nets and follow him. And then the text even continues. It says, it says that he comes across James and John and they're fishing with their father Zebedee. Now, if they're fishing with their father, what are they? They're apprentices, they're learning the family business. And if he calls them to be his disciples and they're not the disciples of some other rabbi. So James and John, they're not good enough. They didn't make the cut either. They aren't the best of the best. And, and how old are they? 15, 16? I mean, 20? I mean, these are not old men, they're young. I mean, Jesus chooses them because his movement is for everybody. I mean, it's for rich and for poor and for women and men and educated and uneducated. I mean, actually, what's one of the things they say about them later on? One of the things they say about them later on is, these guys are like unschooled fishermen. I mean, it's for the peasants and the scholars. It's, move, it's like a movement of anybody's and he calls them the JV, the B team, the not good enoughs. He calls them to be his disciples and they change the course of human history. So back to the walking on water thing. I mean, you have this boat full of anybody's and the water's chopping, the wind's blowing and they're terrified because this Jesus comes across the water to them and they think he's a ghost. And then Peter says, well, if it's you, then tell me to come to you. Now, why is this Peter's first response? Why is Peter's first reaction? If it's you, then tell me to come to you. Be because he's a disciple. I mean, he's, he's oriented his whole life, devoted his whole life to doing what he sees his rabbi doing, learning to be like his rabbi. So he sees his rabbi walking on water and what's the first thing he wants to do? I wanna walk on water too, I wanna be like my rabbi. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water, but he starts to sink and he yells out, Jesus, save me. And, and, and the, the, the text reads that Jesus immediately caught him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I always assumed that Peter doubts Jesus, but Jesus isn't sinking. Who does Peter doubt? He doubts himself. He loses faith in himself that he can actually be like his rabbi. I mean, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have called him if he didn't think he could be like him. Jesus even reminds his disciples of this at one point. He says to them, wait, 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 you didn't choose me, I chose you. The rabbi doesn't choose you unless the rabbi thinks that you can do what he does, that you can be like him. I mean, all, all my life, I've heard people talk about believing in God, but God believes in us, in you in me. I mean, faith in Jesus is important, but what about Jesus' faith in us? I mean, he must have faith in us because he leaves it all in the hands of these disciples. And what's the last thing Jesus says to them? He says to them, now you go and make more disciples. He leaves it all in the hands of these anybodies and they do it. I mean, what if we can actually be the kinds of people that God created us to be? What if he actually believes that? I mean, what if he actually believes that we can be the kind of people who live like Jesus lived.
the kinds of people who take action because we're aware of all of these endless opportunities around us all the time for good, for beauty, for truth. I mean, Jesus has faith that you can follow him and you can be like him. He believes it. May you believe in God, but may you come to see that God believes in you. May you have faith in Jesus, but may you come to see that Jesus has faith that you can be like him, a person of love and compassion and truth, a person of forgiveness and peace and grace and joy and hope. And may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, Jesus. Covered in the dust of your rabbi Jesus. Um, uh, and Andy's book, which I've already plugged a couple of times, um, actually talks through um, uh, the situations with with Peter. It's it, it's it's called the disciple, and it's all about it's all about Peter. Um, but uh, he he starts off in the book talking about Jesus' first encounter uh, with with. Um, yeah, Jesus' first encounter with, with, with Peter and Peter's reaction to it. Um, now, if you don't know the movie Matrix, a little bit of context for you. Hold in there. You'll see where I'm going with this. Um, it's got two characters, uh, one called Neo. He's our, our hero character. And this um, elusive other character um, that Neo's been searching for called Morpheus. Um, and there's quite a, a parallel uh, follow me type of situation that, uh, that occurs in the, in the movie. And Indy writes about it in the first chapter. This is where we have a choice to make. It's like that scene in The Matrix between Morpheus and Neo. In that scene, Morpheus holds out a red and a blue pill before Neo and makes him the following offer. After this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You'll wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. In that moment with Peter, Jesus makes the same offer. The Bible's full of people minding their own business before God steps in with an offer for them to mind his. It's an offer to put down a life that focuses on our own business and take up one that focuses on the business of God's kingdom to swap being the main character in our own story for a supporting role in the story God is telling. The Bible's full of God stepping in with a red or blue pill offer. 
It was the same for the people to whom he made the offer. It was the same for Peter, and it's the same for us. Blue or red pill. The choice is either to give our lives to Jesus wherever he may lead us, or hold on to our lives with its hopes and dreams for our own purposes. So, in this new morning, this new now, with God's love and mercies vibrant in Christ Jesus, let me put on my Ray-Ban shades. It's a Matrix reference. Sit in Morpheus's chair and make you an offer on behalf of our Lord. You can take the blue pill and close this book. The story ends and you can carry on believing what you want to believe. Or you can take the red pill. Accept to follow Jesus on the journey of discipleship and do great things together. Over to you, Neo. I'd really love to show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. So that is going to be our next 12 weeks. And um, in the words of Rob Bell at the end of the, the meeting, we are hoping and praying that you will be covered, uh, covered in the dust of your rabbi, Jesus. I've asked Fran, who's very appropriately wearing sandals, um, to uh, come and lead us in some prayers now.